Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We are in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and I'm going to back up and cover verse 1 through 3. New King James says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right there, I mean, he introduces it, and Paul is good about that. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But the, if you notice in the New King James and the King James 2, that you he made alive is in italics, which means it's not in the original scriptures. Literally what it says, and you were dead by reason of your trespasses and sins. So he starts off here with a pretty negative picture. We were dead. And verse 2 says, in which you once lived according to the course of this world. Uh, it's interesting that the word there for course is aeon, A-I-O-N, which we, where we get our English word for eon or age. So it's the age of this world. And again, the Greek word there for world is cosmos, which if they were referring to the planet, they would have used the word G. Cosmos really has more to do with the ruling system. Um, if you were going to describe the United States, you could describe the physical boundaries of the United States you know, our coastlines, the plains, the desert, all of that. Or you could say we're a democracy of the people and by the people. The cosmos is more how it runs, not physically what it looks like. But we lived um, according to the age of that we're living in, the, the system that works. And that system basically, he goes on there, according to the ruler of the realm of the air, the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. That's the entire governmental system of the world, the cosmos. The cosmos is energized by the authority of the spirit of the air. That's ultimately Satan, but... You know, people, people get in agreement with him. People talk about now, because ISIS is so in the news, that they are the perfect example, and they are a great example of evil incarnate. Because I've had people argue with me, New Agers usually, that people are not inherently evil. They have to be taught to be evil. No, the, the, those people, ISIS, now it is a learned experience to get that degree and to be conformed to evil that closely you have to be indoctrinated you have to be taught that's not something i mean you can selfishness self-centeredness me 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 that comes natural to every human being that's born on the planet that's just that is our fallen nature but to get to where you can stand with a, a child in particular cut a child's head off with a knife and not feel anything, that's a, that, that is a learned thing. But they learn it because 
Satan has authority. When, when Adam fell, God had given Adam dominion over the earth. When he fell, he handed that dominion to Satan. And that's why if, if you look in the Gospels, um, there were several times where Jesus would confront demons and they would respond to him and they would say, um, have you come to torment us before the time? Well, you know, what do they mean before the time? Before the time of, because God, when he gave Adam dominion, he didn't give him eternal dominion. He gave him dominion for a certain period of time. And so Satan knows generally when that time is up. And when that time's up, he knows whether he's been conquered or not, which he already has. He has no more dominion, period. Well, right now, he's still in that time period, and he energizes the sons of disobedience. He motivates people to do things like that. And, it, and it's, we look at ISIS, but, you know, there are um, somewhere on the news this week, and, and I've almost, I say I've quit watching the news. It's like an alcoholic saying he's quit drinking, but he slips every once in a while. Well, I've quit watching the news, but I slip every once in a while. Something will be going on that I just, I got I to gotta see what's happening. And I was listening to something on the news, and I don't remember what it was now, but they mentioned uh, MS-13. And Gina asked me, she said, what in the world is MS-13? And I said, well, it's a Mexican gang. It started in Mexico, and they're in every major city in the U.S. right now because of the drug trade. And I said, but they are particularly nasty. As gangs go, and most gangs get violent pretty quick, I mean, the initiation to get into a gang is you have to take a, a beat down. You know, they'll take five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and a whole bunch of them will just kick you, beat you, knock you down, and you can't fight back. Well, that's a pretty, that's, that, that's a sign that you're on the wrong track if you're that aggressive with someone who essentially you're in a relationship with. But it's that, that energizing force. And, and it doesn't have to be, you know, I used ISIS as an example. But there are, there are a lot of lesser examples than that. The horrible part is that when you get to verse 3, he says, among them, we also, all. There are no exceptions to that. Well, there's one exception to that, and his name was Jesus. And... He was the exception to that because he wasn't born with the nature of Adam's sin because he had no father. That's why the, the virgin birth is so vital, a doctrine, because a lot of people will tell you the virgin birth is not important. It's very important. Without the virgin birth, Jesus was born in the lineage of Adam, meaning he inherited Adam's sin and he would not have been capable of saving us. It's only because he wasn't. He didn't have that nature. But all of us not only had that nature, but we once lived in the passions of our flesh. 
and we gratified the desires and the impulses of the flesh. And we were by nature children of wrath. Now, I want to go into that just for a second because there are several Greek words for children. And I'm going to mispronounce these. Paeon is one. In Matthew's account, Matthew 1 and 2, where it says that Mary was found to be with child, that's the Greek word paeon. It, it's talking about either a newborn or a child that's still in the womb. There is, oh, and I've lost the other one now. I didn't write him down. There is one that talks about little children, especially children without a voice. The Greek word here for children is the word technon. And technon can have several different meanings, but overall the, the, um, the number one emphasis of this word technon means to have a relationship. So when he says that we were children of wrath, and wrath is interesting, that's the Greek word orge, where we get our Greek word for ogre, or our, our, American, or our English term for ogre. We were, we hadn't, basically what he's saying is, we were by nature, or by nature, we had a relationship with wrath. We had a relationship with this sense of ogerness, if that's a word, and it would express itself. That's why you have to, you know, one of the things that the world tries to do is to civilize men. Well, if you live in the right society, you can do that. But apart from being born again, you've still got those urges. We may be able to civilize ourselves to the point where we don't express every feeling we have, but they're still in there. And they still, you put, put, put a person like that in the right circumstances, and those, those passions will get expressed. Now, the, the part here that is interesting is that for those first three verses, they would deny the evil part of it, but it is a perfect representation of the philosophy of hedonism which hedonism came from ancient Greek society, where they really just worshiped the human body. That's why the Greeks invented the Olympics. It was a celebration of physical prowess. They believe, a hedonist will believe, and in some ways, humanists will track right along with that. They will tell you that if you go deep enough into the heart of man, that at their heart, all men are good that it's society that twists them to make them bad. Where Paul just said, we were by nature children of wrath. Our very nature was born. Jesus told uh, one group, he said, um, you're of your father the devil. These were religious Jews. I mean, they, they got offended. They were highly offended because they were very religious people and they tried to do their best to follow the law, but they were still children of wrath. Mark 7, this is again Jesus in verse 20 through 23, he said, what comes out of a man defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, 
an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. James 4, verse 1 through 1 and 2, he asked the philosophical question in verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. He's saying the root of all strife, the root of, and and it's one of the questions or one of the things, you know, pacifists will tell you, if we could just all live by the Sermon on the Mount, then we would, there would be no more war. Was it John Lennon? Yeah, it was. John Lennon wrote the song, Imagine, you know, and one of his things was, imagine there's no religion. Well, I would agree with him, although I think his de- definition of religion and my definition of religion would differ. But by religion, if he's meaning an outward set of rules that people try to rigidly live by, I agree with him. We're much better off without that because it's trying to tame a wild creature. That's that animal's nature. You, you might train it in some ways, but you have to always be on guard because that nature will come out if you give it the right, put it in the right setting. That's what Jesus said. I think it was Matthew's account towards the end in uh, chapter 24. He said, you know, in the end times there will be wars and rumors of wars. Well, people think that we ought to be able to get past war. We're, we're civilized. Well, no, we're not. I mean, we, we might be in some ways, but until you can cure the war in man's own heart, nations are always going to have conflicts. And occasionally they're going to erupt in fighting. The horrible part of it is when it erupts now, we're so sophisticated with our um, technology. I mean, in Jesus' time, it was one man with one sword. You can do a lot of damage with the sword, but you aren't limited. Now, with atomic weapons, with, I mean, we can send out bombers with cluster bombs. If you can get the people gathered together, you can, you can lay down a, a field of destruction that's several football fields wide and long, and there's nothing that's going to come out of that field alive. We have the capacity, because of our technology, to express war in a more gruesome way. But it's, we're never going to get rid of it until we get rid of the nature of sin. The other side of hedonism, the other side of humanism, is to pursue pleasure. And, and not just pleasure in the sense that, it, it, you know, I, when I was in my dark days, I had one, one philosophy of life, and that was if it feels good, do it. If it feels really good, do it twice. Well, that is sort of hedonistic or humanistic, but it's really, it's not just feel good in the sense that, you know, you shoot up heroin and you really feel good. It's, it's even in the sense of satisfying your desires. People that are humanists, what they want is primary in their life. It's always self-centered. What is your motivation? For a hedonist or a humanist, they may have 
part of that motivation may be to see good things done, but there's also usually at least part of it, the motivation is to be seen doing good deeds. Greatest biblical example was the Pharisees. They literally would have someone with a trumpet announce that they were about to give into the temple. Jesus, in commenting on that attitude, when he saw this guy do this, and he gave a lot of money, and I'm sure the temple needed the money. But he also saw a widow who gave two mites, and he said she's given more than anybody else in this crowd. Why? Because she gave from the heart, she gave out of her poverty. That's, and it wasn't, she didn't have any fanfare. Most people would have ridiculed you. Keep your two pennies, we don't need it. I've had people criticize churches. You know, you accept money from widows and from people who are on fixed incomes and they barely have enough to get along. And they sow money into your church and you take it. You betcha. That's how God's gonna, it's an avenue God will use to bless them. But you, if unless we're doing it from the right motivation, it's still, we're being energized by the flesh. And a lot of people do that. A lot of the biggest givers do that. It's more, look at me. Paul laid all this out for us, all the negative. First three um, verses there. If we look at them real close, verse 1, we were dead because of our trespasses and our sins. We not only were we dead, but even though we were dead, we still lived according to the, the ruling power of this age, according to the authorities set in Satan who energized us to be sons of disobedience. And we were one with all of mankind in that we lived in the passions of our flesh. We gratified the desires and the impulses of our, of our flesh. And we were by nature children of God. We by nature had a relationship with this ogre called the flesh. But then verse 4, but God. Two greatest words in all of Scripture. We were hopeless. We were lost. But God, because he was rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in those trespasses and sins, even though we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Literally, and I'm not going to, I actually looked that one up and listened to the proper pronunciation. It's uh, Sazupoeia, I think is how it's pronounced. It literally means to bring into union with another being. So when it says he made us alive together with Christ, it means God, when we were dead in our sins, God joined us with Christ. It follows it up. By grace you have been saved. It's, it's really nothing that we did. He joined us with Christ because he had mercy on us and he loves us that much. And not only did he make us one with Christ, he raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the amazing part is God did this when we deserved it the least. It's not that he overlooks our sin. He just poured out his wrath. We were children of wrath. We deserved God's wrath. But he poured all that wrath out on Jesus so that he could make us one with Christ when Christ came up out of the grave. We, Jesus looked at us, or the Father looked at us and said, you're as pure as my son. He went and became sin, paid that horrible price for sin, became everything that we were. He accepted it to atone for our sins, but none of it was his. So it was more like rather than the sin being on the inside of him and being a part of him, it was like he put it on as a cloak where for us that sin nature permeates us from the inside out or it did then when that all of that sin the wrath was all poured out then he could shed that cloak and he was still holy on the inside he was always holy on the inside even when he became sin that phrase really harkens back to the day of atonement when the um, high priest would lay his hands on that bullock or he'd lay his hands on, on the scapegoat, depending on where they were in, in, in the, the order of, of sacrifices. And he would become, he would impart the sins and the sins became one with that animal. Then when they killed the animal, you know, it paid the price for our sin. Jesus, that happened quite literally with him. He became one. He identified so closely with our sin that he could pay the price for it. But it's open for all of us. Galatians chapter 1. And, and a big part of Galatians is Paul trying to counteract the ministry of the Judaizers the Judaizers would, when Paul would go somewhere and he'd, he'd start a church and he'd minister to them for a while, impart things to them, and then he would leave and move on and he would appoint leadership and a pastor. The Judaizers were famous for coming uh, behind Paul and saying, everything that Brother Paul taught was great, but there's some things he didn't teach you and we want to take you a little deeper. And then he would tell them all about, well, if you really want to be spiritual, you need to become a Jew. And you need to get circumcised, and you need to follow the law. And they basically counteracted the grace that Paul had prayed. And then in, in Galatians 1, Paul says, starting in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus gave, because of the grace that God had in him, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. That's what it means in Ephesians 2 when it says, but God. God didn't just forgive our sins, give us the new birth, and then turn us loose and say, 
great. Do the best you can do. How I was raised, the church I was raised in, that was always the idea that I had. Now, I don't, I, I won't say that that's what was preached, but I will say that's what I heard. <laughs> Those may not always be the same thing, because I've been accused of saying things that I know I didn't say, or I know I didn't mean to say. Whether I said them or they just heard them, I don't know. Sometimes you, we, you know, you misspeak. Uh, I have, to, I get to go edit all of these sermon tapes, and sometimes in the editing process, I hear myself say something. It's like oh, why did I say that? That's not right. <laughs> but you just you get twisted up. But, but these guys said, basically, God, well, I, I was raised with this. Once you get born again, heaven's your home. But man, you just got to live by your wits best you can. And I got so frustrated I walked away from the church because I couldn't do it. Paul here to the church at Galatia says, no, when, when Jesus gave himself, he did it so he might deliver us from this evil age. We are not subject to the authority. What the first three verses of, of, of Ephesians 2, where he said that we lived according to the uh, age that this of this system, that we were, you know, by nature, children of wrath. That's all eliminated. We not only have been joined with Christ, but we've been raised to sit with him. And while that is a positional truth, it can be an actual truth in our life. Now, the difference between it just being a positional truth and being an actual truth, that comes down to our faith. How much do we believe it and how much do we renew our mind to those positional truths to where they start showing up in our life? I, I, would, I would do it this way. I had several students over the years, a bunch of students, that um, they loved basketball or they loved baseball. They had a sport that they just loved. And they would tell me their dreams, their aspirations, I'm going to play in the NBA. I'm going to play, play Major League Baseball. And I would tell them, that's great. A few of them, I actually believe they might have the physical skills that they could have made it. But I was always quick to tell them, that's a great goal. Now, a few of them, I said, you need to concentrate other areas. <laughs> my son, I love my son. He's a great man. He is a wonderful father. But in, in middle school, he told me one time, and oh, my, Gina got so mad at me. He said, I'm going to be in the NBA, Dad. And I said, honey, I love you, but you're never going to be in the NBA. You're, you, you're, you're not fast enough. You're never going to be tall enough. And it's, I don't care how much you practice, you're never going to have those skills. But you are a very smart guy. And you've already told me you like engineering. You can be a great engineer. You can, you can do anything intellectually you want to do if you're willing to work at it. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Watching him go through the course of study he did at Purdue to be an environmental engineer, I'd have never made it because I was, I was smart enough. In fact, I had my kids at school, especially in my anatomy classes, they'd always ask me, why, why didn't you become a doctor? It was like because I didn't have the study habits. I didn't have the drive. There's no way I'm taking 10 
hours a day and studying the way most people who are physicians, they're either super smart and they don't have to apply themselves that hard. Those guys I really don't trust too much. But most doctors that I know are just average or above average intelligence, but they had a drive to learn all of this stuff. And they just worked their butts off. Well, I had kids that would tell me about they wanted to be involved in sports, mainly because they saw sports heroes. And a few of them could have had the physical skills, but I told them, if that's what you want, you better be in the gym two hours before school starts and, and work out on your own. And then after practice is over, stay another hour. You do that between your freshman year in high school, all through your college years, you got a good shot at maybe making the NBA or making professional baseball. But it's going to take that kind of work. They ne I, I never saw anybody put that kind of work into it. They didn't want it that bad. Well, some of these spiritual truths, we are seated with him, we're healed with him. They don't take fleshly work, but they do take, it does take effort to renew your mind. It takes, it takes a dedication when you have the thought come through your mind, you're sick, to have the mental discipline and, and just stand up and say, nope. I'm taking that thought captive. I'm casting that down. Jesus said, I'm healed. And I'm going to speak health. I'm going to speak healing. You know, devil can take a hike. That, that is, I, I'm not so sure that that's not harder than doing the physical stuff. It requires a lot of discipline to do that. But if you will, will develop those skills and those spiritual disciplines, you can see everything that God promised you manifest in this life but i'll be honest with you i don't see a lot of people do that that's why we we think it's unusual and these people are especially blessed it's kind of like uh i know a couple of guys that are they own their own businesses and people will say well they got lucky they you know they got a million i know one guy one friend his dad had started a business and as he got to where physically he couldn't do the business anymore, he turned it over to his son. And when his son took it over, they were grossing about $400,000 a year in business. And 10 years later, they're grossing about $12 million a year in business. The difference, uh, part of it's talent, but a big part of it is in the early years when he first got got control of his dad's business he worked 80 to 100 hours a week on that business he was always going he was always and everybody i know that is pretty well materially rich they got there by working a lot of hours they worked hard it's amazing how luck always hits the guy who works hard they were joking uh, because jimmy johnson wrecked out of this weekend's race his brakes just went flat out lost him in the middle of a turn at 200 miles an hour hit the wall uh, by his own admission he got out and sat down he said that was about the hardest hit i've ever taken but somebody one of the commentators said well his golden horseshoe got misplaced because jeff gordon who owns half of his car said a few years ago uh he was born with a golden horseshoe planted somewhere 
not so pleasant. Well, people look at Jimmy Johnson. He's a seven-time championship or champion in NASCAR. But that man works. He's a triathlete. He works out hours a day to stay physically fit. He studies. He practices. He does all of the things. Plus, God gave him some real skills. Uh, you don't drive a car at 200 miles an hour without, and not wreck it without some skills. But he's taken what God's given him, and he's worked to perfect it. And because of that, he's successful. We have to have that same discipline. Spiritual things work the same way. God has given them to us by his grace, but we have to apply the principles of grace to our own lives to see those things manifested. But the great part is, it's all ours to begin with. It's not like we're having to talk God into doing it. He's already said, yeah, it's yours. Just take it. Well, Writing that check, it's a little harder writing those spiritual checks because our brain will fight us. Our unrenewed mind will fight us. Our flesh will always fight us. But it's possible to walk in all of that. It just takes some effort to believe it. And when it doesn't go right, to continue to believe it. When you've got contrary evidence to say, no, that's what the Word says, and to stand and stand, and Paul will say it in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, when you've done all to stand, stand. That's, it's not easy, not always pleasant, but man, it pays dividends if you, if you have the discipline to do it. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.